0: Suing Governor Whitmer, the legislature's case to limit emergency powers and reopen Michigan. Eric Kielunin, leader of the All Business is Essential campaign, joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right, audience, welcome to the show. We've got another suing government officials episode for you today. And to do that, we welcome Eric Keelunin, who, in addition to being the leader of the All Business is Essential campaign, is also a business owner. He runs Keelunin Manufacturing Group. They make construction materials. But Eric, you're also the CEO for NuVocus Corporation. And from what I can tell from your uh, LinkedIn profile, you're also a partner in many ventures that deal in construction goods. So did I get your bio correct? Close enough. Yeah. We make, uh, I got a company
1: called Vocus. We make a composite rebar product called Gator Bar. Um, no rust, lightweight. Uh, it'll be replacing steel rebar if we, before, before too long. That's our goal over there. But I'd like to keep this on the, on the uh, front you called me on.
0: Oh, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. No problem. And as I understand it, just as a point of interest, we caught you on the side of the highway recording with us on your cell phone. So hopefully you're in a safe, uh, you're in a safe position.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm uh, as far as I can get away from some of the noise so that he can't hear me. Yeah, we, we had a tire blowout on us. And so we're uh,
0: living the dream. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be safe out there. But uh, getting back to your point, uh, this lawsuit I wanted to talk about against Governor Whitmer was filed by the Michigan legislature. And of course, that included both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And uh, basically, they had refused to extend her emergency powers past April 30th. And so In exchange for that, she decided to go ahead and declare her own executive orders there, declaring that she had emergency powers. And in so doing, and I'm going to cite to these really quick, just because it it leads into our discussion later, there was the 1945 Emergency Powers of Governor Act and also the 1976 Emergency Management Act. So she went ahead and filed those executive orders, citing those sources as her authority. And I think where she started to get into trouble is that uh, since March 10th, when COVID-19 Kicked up, and that was what these executive orders were all about. You know, she'd been doing some shutdowns, and some of her, I guess, more newsworthy pushback, some of the examples that made the headline news around the country, was that there were certain restrictions in stores that uh, I think people. I guess, objectionably found objectionable. <laughs> and so, for example, she, uh, like in stores like Home Depot, she wasn't letting customers go down into the gardening section. She wasn't letting people buy flooring, buy paint or furniture. But I think the one that really got esteemed people, and I'm familiar with, with the Midwest, she wasn't letting people visit their lake houses. And so I know that's a big deal in the Midwest. You know, people have those as sort of their uh, refuge. It's where you park your boat. And that uh, seems like a great place to weather out a pandemic. And so I think that that's where the big pushback came in. Into and so, I think that's where the legislature got upset and started uh, pushing back on those powers and wanted to make her a kind of a counteroffer with a bill that uh, kind of gave her some of what she wanted but not everything. And so that's where we get into this case that you've been following, Eric. And so what I wanted to do, and I think that you put it so well, you know, as a business owner, you know, you've been following this with great interest, and obviously you uh, want to see business opened again in Michigan to a hundred percent. But can you walk us through some of the timeline with this case when it began? Well,
1: so I, I tell you what, this particular case, I want to give it a little color on you. You just gave it, you painted the picture of her shutting down our, our state and doing thing and making arbitrary decisions. It was really the hypocrisy that caught everybody. So, you know, you talked about, you know, and I say we weren't allowed to buy paint. Literally, it was paint, rakes, and seats were banned. But yet, the state of Michigan was allowed to buy liquor, lotto, and marijuana. And you look at that and you say, how can that possibly be seen? You know, I mean, you show me one person that can use uh, liquor, lotto, and marijuana to improve their health on a, on a basis, but yet somehow buying a seed and, and, and planting a garden, buying a rake and raking. That's about the time I went ballistic. And that's when I got involved. And then speaking a little bit to the lake house, you know, then to have her husband go up to their lake property and ask the marina owner, because he's the governor's uh, husband does he get any privilege to get his boat in first? And I know, I don't know if you, you heard that or not, but there was a crisis about that where the, the, the marina just kind of laughed at him, am getting the back of the line. It's really irritated a lot of people. So this current case, I compared a lot to what Carl Menke went through. And I, I'm sure you're familiar with America's Barber. And uh, he stood up a 77 year old guy. He's running a single barber shop. I mean, I think he's maybe got two or three chairs in there and just want to get back about his business. And she sued, sued to shut him down. And he took it to the to the Supreme Court and won. And he went through the same court that just shot it down, went through the same procedure. So I would expect that this case would follow that same path. And so now it's been shot down and now it's going to get handed back up to the Supreme Court. Uh, the, the lower level did their job. And now the Supreme Court has to rule. And I got to believe it's going to be in favor and not in favor of the governor.
0: Is there an official court date set yet? Have you heard anything there? Uh, I didn't see anything online. I just wonder if, maybe if you'd heard something different.
1: I haven't seen anything online yet, but I'm pretty sure it's within the next week or less. I think I think it's moving right along, so hopefully it'll be quicker.
0: Well, let's break into that a little bit. And so I wanted to bring you on, Eric, as a business owner and somebody that's, uh, you know, taking obviously a civic interest in what's going on uh, within the community that that you live. And so, you know, looking for kind of a a non-lawyer's opinion on this. But uh, you know the the first decision, that's kind of where the meat of this is. That's where all the work has been done, I guess, on this case was, was at that first court. And of course, that's the Michigan Court of Claims and the decision by Judge Cynthia Stevens. So as a business owner, what do you think they got right versus wrong in that first initial decision?
1: I I can just be frank with you. I wasn't that close into it to give give you a real good answer on that one, Lawrence.
0: Oh, sure. No, no problem. No problem. So I went through the analysis of the case and, uh, you know, I walked through the opinion and I thought, um, to be honest with you, I thought it was a pretty well written opinion. You know, I think it worked through the different elements of the law pretty well, pretty clearly. And I think it was as succinct as you could possibly be with such a complex constitutional analysis. But uh, there was quite a bit of time spent on standing, you know, whether or not the legislature, you know, has the authority to, uh, you know, bring that case before the court. And uh, also, there was some parsing of words and definitions. But I thought where there was a really great analysis, which I agreed with the judge's analysis, was conflict, but I didn't agree with her conclusion. And so – In this conflict, there's a 1945 Act that we mentioned, the Emergency Powers of Governor Act. That's the 1945 Act. And there's a 1976 Act. That's the Emergency Management Act. And so both of those talk about the governor's ability to bring a state of emergency, which obviously gives the the governor some special powers for a period of time. And so the 1976 Act does not repeal the 1945 Act it sort of supplements it in a way. And so the biggest difference between the two is this timeline. And so here's the analysis that I disagreed with. So I agreed with, you know, with her interpretation, you have to read these together because one's not repealed by the other. And you have to try to reconcile the differences between them in a way that brings as much meaning to the original intent as possible. But I think she went too far is when she cited one of the early provisions of the 1976 Act that said this is not intended to curtail the governor's ability to bring a declaration for emergency. And I think that she conflated that with the ability to extend the uh, declaration of emergency. And clearly the 1976 Act was you know, indirect result of legislature's concern to curb that uh, that ability to indefinitely extend. And so just wanted to, based on that, what did you think about the result of the case, just kind of based on my ana- my analysis there?
1: You know, when I look at it, you know, I just kind of look at it on its face, and I, you know, you guys are going to do the legal review. I'm not going to get down into those weeds. I try to avoid court. You know, as a small business or any business guy, you try to avoid the court as much as you can. Sure,
0: sure. And and
1: I'll I'll, I'll leave that to your expertise. I just look at it. Just you know, just you just start running through the U.S. Constitution. You hit the First Amendment. You know, you have a right to peaceably gather and you have a right to speak your mind. And when those are taken away from you, which is essentially what they're doing by quarantining, you can't go. You can't gather. Uh, I'm sorry. You're going to lose on the First Amendment. And, you know, you can talk about all the all the details you want. And that's the one that I really just take comfort in. It's like, no, you cannot do this to a United States citizen. Now, we're all reasonable people. I would like to think in the United States, I don't care what side the aisle you're on you know, but after three weeks, and after now five, six months, and you're looking at it, and they, you know, they keep changing the game on you. And it's just blatantly politics. And that's what really irritated me was, you know, if it's real, I don't think there's a there's a red blooded American that won't do what's right. But when it right. becomes absolute, as far as I'm concerned, is largely a farce. I mean, yes, there have been people that have died from it, you know, we're at whatever death, but in Michigan, we're at like 6600 people. And frankly, if you look at over the last five, 10 years, you know, we're not that far out of the bandwidth. So yeah, we had a, you know, we had something new that came through. I just looked at the cases literally last week, what, 61 deaths in the state of Michigan and and not marginal cases. I sit here and scratch my head and say, you know, if, if we can't as a society stand, and, and, and when I say as a society, I talk as business leaders, stand up and say, you know, folks, Back in 1945, when that law was written, we were sending 18-year-olds off the end of troop carriers in the machine gun fire. And now you've got odds of like 0.0005% of catching COVID and dying from it in the state of Michigan. I'm sitting here scratching my head saying, where are all the Americans gone? And where are the red-blooded Americans that say, hey, here's a challenge. Let's just deal with it and deal with it sanely. And right now, with you know her continuing to do it on, I'm sure you're familiar with this group called Stand Up Michigan that's doing the repeal 1945. You wonder what a business guy can do? Oh, yeah, I spend quite a bit of my time circulating petitions. I've gathered personally over 75 signatures for that, and I think it was two, three weeks into it, we're over 200,000 signatures, and we need 340,000 to put that on the ballot, and it's not something that they can veto and turn over. So that's coming down the pike, and I think the citizens are standing up they got, I think, 60,000 plus volunteers collecting signatures to over to, to repeal that 1945 law. And it's not political. It's a one, it's literally a one statement act. And it's repeals the 1945 law. I can't re- repeat it off memory, but it's that's all the, that's all it does. And uh, if we can get that out, they get it voted on. We can stop this insanity and make her deal with the, you know, the House and the Senate as she's supposed to be doing. And so right now, I think it's It's strictly a political strong-arm play. I suspect its usefulness will will fade after November, and hopefully before then, we can shut her down.
0: Well, let me ask you this: I mean, as a business owner and somebody that employs a lot of people, I understand this has had quite an impact on uh, your ability to generate business. So, when when these uh, when these orders, these shutdown orders, first occurred, what what happened to you and your business?
1: Well, in my, I, I have a couple of businesses I run. I, I have a contracting business. We do spray foam insulation, roof coatings and floorings and stuff like that. And literally, I had a bunch of business that was exterior work. Some of it was state of Michigan work. So that got shut down. I had several hospitals that we were putting roofing on. Those got shut down. I watched 600,000 in business vaporize overnight. In a 10-person company, that's a massive impact. And we did that. I walked in and I got my nephew running the company and I got a couple other nephews working there. And I have to walk in the door and say, guys, I got no money. You know, there's just no way we can pay the bills. I have to lay everybody off, let's do this, and let's sit down and figure this thing out. And that's when I really got active. I started, you know, I'm running business, I'm not paying attention to any of this stuff, and started looking into what was going on, and then she came out with the liquor lotto and and the marijuana, uh, legal, and seeds, rakes, and brooms, illegal, and I said, this is straight politics. And I looked into it, did the best research I know how to do. I called my nephew up. I says, uh, do you want to open a business? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, basically I had two options. One is go out of business and the other one is go out of business. That, that, that were my two options. And so
0: <laughs> not, I, not, not a lot of great choices
1: there. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, it was, you know, I, I phrased it in my campaign, you know, economic disobedience or economic suicide, your choice. Right. At that point, I just made a, a decision. I actually jumped on onto local, local radio and hence began my political career. And I just thought, does anybody care? Right. I went and did 45 minutes at a local radio station. About a week and a half later, I had 20,000 raised. We were putting billboards down in the Detroit area and just got active in it and started swinging back. And so I just, we just opened that business. We had 10 employees called out, 10 of them said, you can come back and work. If you want to stay home and you're afraid of the virus, you don't have to. It's your choice. We won't discriminate. We don't care. But if we don't come back to work fundamentally, you're not going to have a place to come back to work to because it's going to go on out of business. And yeah. so we just opened it up. And uh, largely the community has said thank you. A lot of other contractors are tucking. you know, nobody wants to be identified. But in our area, most of the contractors are going full steam and have been since about that time,
0: three, four weeks after. Why don't you want to be identified? What, what happens if you get identified? Well, you, you
1: know, you become a target. I mean, frankly, you, you start telling people they're wrong and you do it nationally, you do it politically, uh, you become a target. Okay. You know, that's everybody's impression of it. And I've just uh, had a real hard time keeping my mouth shut most of my life.
0: Well, Eric, I got a couple of uh, remaining questions for you real quick. And so uh, I know you've been watching this case as it's migrated its way through all the different levels of court. And so I guess if you were a betting man, you know, what are your predictions for the outcome at the Supreme Court? Are they going to take the case one and two, if they do, what do you think that decision will be?
1: I think they take the case and I think the governor loses. (laughs) That's pretty, I mean, that's (laughs) pretty succinct there. That's the answer. You know, without without going, I mean, look, Carl, they tried to shut Carl Mankey down. He's a barber. He's cutting hair. And they tried to shut him down and they couldn't beat him. And a guy by the name of David Kalman ran, ran the case. And to me, it's just cut and dried. You're in America. You, we, look, we, we elected a governor, not a dictator. Last I checked. And uh, when somebody starts acting dictatorial, it's your duty. I think it was Thomas Jefferson. I don't remember who it was, but it, it, it becomes your duty to violate that law. I paraphrase it. But basically, when when the laws become uh, untenable, it, as a citizen of a free society, it is your duty to, uh, you know, avoid the laws, not
0: not comply with them. All right. Last question, and, and as briefly as you can answer, you know, if you were in charge of policymaking for the day, you know, and I sense that you would uh, make some changes here. But what changes would you make to the emergency powers given to the Michigan governor?
1: I would just shut down the 1945 Act, run on the 1976 Act. Basically, you got 30 days to respond. Everybody can take a look, and then uh, after that, it has to go through both houses to to continue to do it, which is what they tried to do. They they first went out there and they had to wait another 15 days. I was in contact with my congressman. He said, "Look, we got to wait 15 days to do this, or whatever the days were." They went through it, and then she went after the 1945. It was all laid out. Everybody knew what was going to happen, but they followed the, the legal proceedings as they were supposed to. So what I would do is I just – and it's in a way. I'm actually doing it. I'm helping to repeal the 1945 law and then just get the – if we do that, then it's game, set, match. Now, now she's got to fight through legislature the way, the way that, frankly, our
0: system was designed. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Eric, and thank you listeners for tuning in. If you're interested, we'll cite our sources for this episode, and we'll make those available in our show notes at legaltalknetwork.com. And also, if you like this episode, please rate us and leave a comment in your favorite podcasting app. It definitely helps us climb the ranks in those uh, engines. And so that's all the time we have for today. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clutty. Have a great day, everybody.